This past Father's Day, I received a Father's Day card from my 21-year-old son, Nick. Now, I know this is unusual. A 20-year-old male, a college student no less, isn't the type of person known for purchasing thoughtful cards on special occasions. In fact, if there had been money inside, I would have taken him down to an emergency room wondering if he had a mysterious disease. Don't worry, the card was empty. But I will hold on to this card because of what Nick wrote. I'd like to read it to you. He says, Dad, if you were to die today, loves how he starts it, know that you have taught me to be a godly man, that the important things in life are serving God and showing Christ to others. By your example, I have seen the right way to love one woman, raise four kids, and to treasure things that matter, really matter, not the things of this world, but the things that truly make a man happy, like family and God. With that said, I don't plan on you passing anytime soon, so I want to continue learning from you how to be a man of God. Hey, this card is a keeper. My life has had an impact. Apparently, I've been an influence. Nick's words justify the space I've been taking up on planet Earth for the last 51 years. Here's the rent I've paid. I've paid God to park on his planet right here. And why would I start a series about influence with a card from my son? Let me tell you why. Understand, I'm a pastor. I preach the Bible to hundreds of people. I manage a staff. I oversee other pastors and teachers and willing volunteers. I'm a leader in a movement. I have an influence on other senior pastors who in turn influence their churches and their communities. And so you might think, sure you have some influence, but that's your job. Notice, I want you to notice my son's car didn't mention any of my professional roles. He talked about me being a dad and me being a husband. And I say humbly, a man of God. Over the years, my wife and kids have seldom been impressed with my career achievements. They pay attention to my life and my love, not my labels. Hey, I want to squish a bug at the very beginning of this series on influence. Don't you dare think that influence is a goal that you can never attain. Influence isn't just for pastors or for CEOs, leaders with positions and titles. All believers can and should be a POI, a person of influence. You're a spouse, a parent, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, a teacher, a classmate, a teammate, a hunting buddy, a tennis partner. A member of a regular foursome on the golf course. A coach. A Sunday school teacher. Hey, whatever you are, you rub shoulders every day with humans created in God's image, yet have lost touch with God. God wants to use you in influential ways. To touch lives. To relieve pain. To point people to Jesus and to make this world a better place. For most of the first half of this past year, we've talked about the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, what we believe and why it matters. To be truly Christian, you should know the essentials 
of our faith. But with that knowledge comes responsibility. For God wants you to learn what's essential, then take that understanding and become influential. You see, a good Christian knows what he believes and why. He lives a life of personal purity. He engages in corporate worship. But God doesn't just want you to be good. He wants you to be good for something. God saves us in order to turn us into people of influence. This is what parents should be instilling in the heart and lives of their kids. And yet I see parents today, they're all about protection. They're warning their kids about drugs, and they're monitoring their interactions with the opposite sex, and they're steering their kids away from the wrong crowd. Parents desperately want their kids to be good. But so what if your kids are good, yet good for nothing? Hey, hey, we need to raise kids who are passionate and ambitious and altruistic. I've tried to raise not just good kids, but kids who want to change their world. Ever listen to 104.7 FM, The Fish? Ever listen to that station? It's Christian radio. And man, I cringe every time I hear the theme song. Safe for the whole family. Well, evidently, the owners of the radio station, they know their target audience. They realize that Christians today are more interested in battening down the hatches and riding out the cultural storm than we are in engaging the culture. Rather than be safe, we need to be saving people from sin. You see, my goal is to change that safety-first attitude in you and in this church. Rather than retreat from culture, I want us to obey Jesus, to be salt and light, to sprinkle and twinkle to, so people can see the difference that Jesus makes. Hey, remember, God wants you to be a thermometer. I'm sorry, God, God doesn't want you to be a thermometer. God wants you to be a thermostat. You see, thermometers only read the surrounding temperature. Thermostats, they set the temperature. Rather than be influenced by the world or retreat from the world, I believe that God wants you and I to have an impact in whatever environment he places us. Like Joshua, be a person of influence. You see, for the next nine weeks, we're going to work our way through the book of Joshua and examine the habits of influential people. We'll be asking the question, how can I become a POI, a person of influence? You know, I have a little GPS that I use on vacation whenever I take a trip. And the term POI on my GPS, it, it stands for point of interest. But what a point of interest is on a map, a person of influence is in a community. It's a place folks want to go. It's a destination that's useful and attractive. God wants us to be winsome, influential people, to be POIs. And the book of Joshua is full of POIs, people of influence, people who made an amazing difference in their world. From Joshua to Rahab to Achan to Caleb, the characters in this book demonstrate how a single person can influence a group of people, even a whole nation, for better or for worse. This morning, we want to look at chapter 1, the calling of Joshua, and we'll focus on the first habit of a person of influence. He or she makes preparation. Makes preparation. 
Now at the time, Israel was on the cusp of a new beginning. God had brought the nation Israel out of Egypt to inherit Canaan, the land of the Hittites. But the generation who were slaves in Egypt, they failed to believe God for victory. They were frightened by these Hittites, their size and their evil and their ferocity. These Hebrews had been intimidated by giants in the land. Forty years later, that generation of doubters were now buried under the hot desert sands. Now a new generation was ready to cross over, but they had one problem. Moses was also dead, and they needed a new leader. Verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. And notice this is a huge deal. I mean, Moses was no mere footnote in Hebrew history. Moses cast a shadow over the nation that was long and heavy. He was the deliverer, the lawgiver. In fact, read the last few verses of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verse 10. Since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses. This man was one of a kind. Moses was a heavyweight. He was a person of enormous influence. Here was Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill and Martin Luther King and Billy Graham all rolled into one. Whoever followed Moses would have giant shoes to fill. Well, after the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Now, all the former Roman Catholics need to stop sweating. Joshua was not son of a nun, okay? This is not another church scandal here. Nor does this mean that he was an orphan, son of no one. This just means that his dad's name was Nun. Who knows, he may have been an ancestor of Senator Sam Nunn. We don't know. But notice the contrast here. Figuratively speaking, Joshua was son of Nun. He was a nobody. Yet God calls him to succeed a legend named Moses. Joshua has to succeed the Hebrew Vince Dooley. And notice verse 2. He's just an assistant, mind you. This is bigger than the bulldog nation. This is the Hebrew nation. And this Joshua lacks any head coaching experience. His resume is skimpy. It just reads, Moses' assistant. That's it. Apparently, Joshua had been Moses' defensive coordinator. In Exodus chapter 17, as Israel exited Egypt, a band of desert pirates, sons of Amalek, figured that Israel would be easy prey, and they attacked. While Moses interceded before God, Joshua led the troops into battle. Through God's intervention, the Hebrews prevailed and were victorious. You see, Joshua had some experience, but he had never been first in command. And yet God chooses him, and in verse 2 gives him his marching orders. He tells Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. Now notice this. We'll come back to it later. But Joshua was given what Moses was given. Joshua inherited the same promises God gave to Moses. God would see to it that the Hebrews occupied wherever they dared to tread. Wherever the sandal fell, 
God would drive out the enemy, whether that sandal was on Moses' foot or on Joshua's foot. The old adage is true. God's servants come and go, but God's promises remain forever. And here's the land that God promised the Hebrews, verse 4. From the wilderness, that's the southern limits. You can see on the map here. And this Lebanon, that's the border in the north. As far as the great river, the river Euphrates, that's the eastern boundary. All the land of the Hittites and to the great sea, that's the Mediterranean, toward the going down of the sun or the western limits, this shall be your territory. God gave Israel 300,000 square miles. Today they occupy just 10,000. If the modern Israelis tried to occupy the territory that God gave them, they'd set off a firestorm, a jihad, all across the Middle East. Their inheritance includes the West Bank, but not just of the Jordan River, but of the Euphrates River in Iraq. Jordan, Syria, Iraq, parts of Saudi Arabia, all are part of the land that God gave to Israel. But here's the phrase that would have caught Joshua's attention. And it really didn't have anything to do with the extent of the geography. It was all about the hostility. He would have picked up on this phrase, land of the Hittites. That's what kept ringing in his ears. For these Hittites, they were a perverse and a pagan bunch. They worshipped nature and idols. Lewd acts were performed to appease their fertility goddesses. You see, Hittite culture was packed with the occult and demonic practices and all kinds of sexual deviance. The Hittites would make today's pornographers blush. Even child sacrifice was a common practice in Hittite religion. Recently, a tablet was found in one of the Jewish settlements there on the West Bank, and it was dated to the time of the Hittites. Here are a few Hittite headlines. Sex with animals? It's not uncommon. Woman charged after raucous party? Appeared to be a strip club? Mom of decapitated baby? I didn't mean to do it. Teacher in sex case sent back to jail. Two plead guilty for smuggling women for prostitution. Now wait a minute. These aren't Hittite headlines. You've probably recognized these stories. They were in last week's AJC. You see, this kind of depravity wasn't just occurring 3,500 years ago among the Hittites. It's today in Atlanta, GA. The challenge facing Joshua isn't much different than the challenge we face, my friends. How can we be an influence of good for good in an evil and an immoral culture? You see, most folks today are lost. They're victims. They've never been given any moral or spiritual bearings. They need our help. And yet there are other people in our culture who have deliberately rejected the truth. They oppose the Christian version of right and wrong. They want to stifle our influence. We have compassion toward most, but we're in combat with others. And our challenge today is to be a person of influence to those who need us without being discouraged or intimidated by those who oppose us. This is what it means to be a POI in a triple X culture. 
And this is why God encourages Joshua, verse 5. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Again, God gives to Joshua what he gave to Moses. First it was his promise. Now it is his presence. God continues to speak to Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. But before the land is divided, it will have to be won. And that's why God encourages Joshua to be strong and to be brave. There will be battles. God will fight them, but Joshua must face them. You'll find that in your life there will be battles. God will fight them, but you must face them. God repeats his pep talk. He says, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Joshua has what Moses had, his promise and his presence. Now God tells him to do what Moses did. Joshua, follow God's law. Don't add to or take away. Stay on course. And then God reiterates to Joshua, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And in verse 9, God makes sure that Joshua is listening. He asks him a question. He says, have I not commanded you? Are you listening, Joshua? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua, you have what Moses had. Now do what Moses did. And Joshua takes immediate action. He rallies the tribes together. He prepares them to enter the land. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, Pass through the camp and command the people saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Joshua has what Moses had. He does what Moses did. Now he speaks what Moses spoke. Verse 12. To the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. Now, now Joshua reminds three of these Hebrew tribes about a deal that they had struck with Moses just a few months earlier. You see, when the Hebrews swung north from below the Dead Sea, when they swung north and east along the east coast of the Dead Sea, Moses conquered the kings east of the Jordan River. Lush pasture land covered those Transjordan hills. It was beautiful country. And three of the tribes wanted to settle there and take their inheritance east of the Jordan. Moses had no problems with that, provided those three tribes cross over the Jordan with the other nine Hebrew tribes and help fight the battles that their brothers would face. These tribes struck the deal. Joshua now tells them it's time to follow through. He says to these men, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock 
shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise or toward the east. And they answered Joshua saying, All that you commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, and all that you commanded him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Now there are so many lessons in this morning's passage and in the book of Joshua as a whole. But each week I'm going to hammer down on one big point. And here is today's focus. To become a person of influence, it requires preparation. You see, before you can influence others, you first must be willing to be influenced yourself. Notice here in chapter 1, every tether of Joshua's calling was tied to his relationship with Moses. He had what Moses had. He did what Moses did. He said what Moses said. Joshua's success was tied to another. Now, I have a friend of mine who's a pastor, and he has titled his study on Joshua chapter 1, It's Your Turn. I like that. He mentions how Joshua served as Moses' assistant. But now it's Joshua's turn to step up and lead, and that's true. But it's not as if Joshua had just bided his time. It's not as if Joshua were just lurking in the shadows until the old man was out of the way so that he could steer the ship in the direction he desired. No, Joshua faced new circumstances, but God's will remained. You see, God's purposes don't change from one leader to the next. The course Moses set was the course that Joshua followed. Joshua stayed the course. You see, people of influence realize that they take a stand. They have to take a stand. But when they stand, they realize that they aren't standing on their own two feet as much as they're really standing on the shoulders of others who have come before them. Mark Richt is a great football coach. But before he became head coach of the Bulldogs, he was an assistant coach at Florida State under Bobby Bowden, who assisted at the same school under a guy named Bill Peterson. Coach Peterson was Paul Dietzel's assistant coach on LSU's 1958 national championship team. And Coach Dietzel got his start as an assistant at Kentucky under a head man named Bear Bryant. Hey, here's my point. Everybody stands on somebody else's shoulders. And the sooner you realize this truth and start learning from others, the better for you. The ability and perhaps even the authority to influence someone else flows from our own willingness to be influenced by the people of influence God places in our lives. You see, to be a POI, you have to make 
preparation. Reminds me of the tour bus weaving its way through the European countryside. It seemed that every town was the birthplace of an important person. But when the bus stopped for gas in one particular village, one of the tourists asked the locals, he, he said to this man, were there any famous people born in your town? That's when the old fellow replied, nope, only babies were born here. You get the point. None of us are born great or influential people. Hey, there are lessons to learn. There's integrity to develop. There is character to be forged. Joshua was a person of incredible influence. His determination and faith propelled a nation to victory. But don't miss it. Before Joshua assumed leadership after Moses, he first served an apprenticeship under Moses. Joshua was not too proud to learn from someone older and wiser. It's been said the person who knows everything has a lot to learn. I think it was Mark Twain who remarked, It's amazing how much I've learned since I knew everything. Humility never stops learning. There's a country song out today. It's by the duo Montgomery Gentry. It's called Back When I Knew It All. Here's some of the lyrics. I found out credit cards don't mean you're rich. And beer and gasoline don't mix. I've learned that love is a woman that will settle you down and a Sunday sermon can turn your life around. Man, I can't believe all the answers I've found since back when I knew it all. But when the world was flat and mommy and daddy didn't have a clue, back when a pitcher of beer and a couple of shots made me bulletproof, Lord, I'm learning so much more than back when I knew it all. Hey, if you're going to one day be an influence on your wife and your kids and then your teenagers and then your co-workers and your neighbors and even be a leader in your church, right now you need to be a learner. You need to be preparing for what's ahead. If you want to be a Joshua, you need to invite a Moses into your life. When you read through Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you learn that not only did Joshua assist Moses, but Moses did a lot to assist in Joshua's preparation. Joshua gleaned and he learned from his mentor Moses. When Moses climbed Mount Sinai to talk to God, he took Joshua with him. How close Joshua came to the glory of God, we're not told, but obviously he was nearer than anyone else who had to stay in the camp below. Exodus 33 tells us how that Moses would pitch his tent outside the camp and God would meet with Moses. A glory cloud was seen outside the flap on Moses' tent. God was in the house. Exodus tells us that God spoke with Moses face to face. And then verse 11 of Exodus 33 adds, Moses would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. After Moses left, Joshua would just sort of hang out just to catch a glimpse of God's glory. Hey, maybe some of God's influence would rub off on Joshua. That's what he thought. In Numbers 11, God took of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was upon Moses and he placed this influence on the 70 elders. In fact, a couple of the guys ended up in the camp speaking under the Holy Spirit's influence, prophesying. Joshua tried to stop it. In his mind, he thought that spiritual gifts were reserved for a special few. 
That's when Moses had to correct him. He said, oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Joshua learned that day that God desires to pour out his spirit on all his people. And the day finally came for Joshua. Just before Moses died, he called his assistant to his side. And there in the sight of all Israel, he laid his hands on Joshua. And Deuteronomy tells us God filled Joshua with the spirit of wisdom. Man, so much was taught to Joshua through his mentor Moses. You know, when you just jump into the book of Joshua and you start reading, you're so impressed with Joshua's leadership skills, you're prone to miss the truth that he was an effective leader only because he was first a willing follower. You see, our tendency in every success story is to overlook the preparation. Just last week, the Sporting News deemed John Wooden the greatest coach in America's sports history. Wooden was the basketball coach for UCLA that won 10 national championships in 80% of his games. John Wooden coached some of the best players in basketball history. Yet every year, on the first day of practice, he would sit his players down and he would teach them how to properly put on a pair of socks. Now, now the players would laugh and they would snicker at such a simple lesson. But John Wooden believed in attentiveness to detail and practice and proper preparation. And crumpled socks can cause blisters and hinder a player's performance. In other words, preparation involves doing little things right. I believe this is the cause of many spiritual failures. Not crumpled socks. But believers overlooking the basics, the simple things. We neglect the footers of our faith. Oh, we get proud. We're above being taught. Who needs preparation? You see, too many Christians, they get in a rush. It's more glamorous to influence others than to be influenced yourself. The coveted direction is up and out, not in and deep. As a result, we don't lay a good foundation. Hey, do you know how to pray? Really pray? Can you read the Bible and get something out of it? If given the opportunity, do you know how to share your faith with an unbeliever? If not, find someone to teach you. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, God tells Joshua to be a student of his word. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Bible study is a part of every believer's preparation. Do you study your Bible? Paul's relationship with Timothy was similar to Moses' relationship with Joshua. And Paul said to his young protege, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Can you rightly divide God's word? We need to grow and know before we go. Years ago, I read an interesting quote from Pope, Pop, Pope John Paul. The Pope said, if someone had told me I'd be Pope one day, I would have studied harder. I imagine so. Yeah, which reminds me of the Pope. He died, he went to heaven. And when he reached the pearly gates, he asked if he could use the library. You see, there was a theological issue that he'd always questioned, and he really needed to know the truth. And so the angels, they escorted him back to the library and they showed him the research section. 
Well, he was there for two hours. When suddenly the whole library hears this blood-curdling scream. The, the angels, they run back to check on the Pope. And he's just sitting there, looking down at this book, pointing his finger down at this book saying, there's an R. There's an R. It says, celebrate. Celebrate. Think about it. You'll get it. In other words, a little preparation, a little study beforehand may protect you from some serious errors. Take time to learn before you launch. I've heard it put like this. Everyone needs four people in their life. Four people. A mentor, a model, a partner, and a friend. Mentors are coaches who can take you under their wing and teach you what you need to know. You ask questions and you allow that person to speak into your life. If you're a business person, find someone in the business world who has a good handle on the balance between God and family and work. If you're a new mom, look for an older lady who's raised a successful family. Take notes. You also need a model. Someone that you may not know, but someone that you respect. Somebody that you can learn from their example. You can emulate. You can watch them, even if at a distance. And third, we need partners. Folks on our team working toward the same goals. Finally, we need some friends who will love us. Not just because of us, but in spite of us. Hey, everyone needs a mentor, a model, a partner, and a friend. Here's the point of this morning's message. Make preparation. Learn from the godly people in your life. In the words of one Jewish rabbi, we are dwarfs standing on the shoulders of giants. The first question is not, are you a Joshua? The first question is, do you have a Moses? If you want to find Joshua, look in the shadow of Moses. Joshua had what Moses had. Joshua did what Moses did. Joshua taught and spoke. What Moses spoke. Be a person of influence by first being a person who can be influenced. Father, we thank you for your words today.